Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Yeah, so Ken Flo's been doing the Bitcoin podcast circuit. We're going to make him talk about mixed martial arts today, though. It's Monday, February 1st, 2021, episode 286 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Is that a Bitcoin smile you're rocking this morning? It is. John, it's a natural progression. I don't see what the big problem is. From mixed martial arts to Bitcoin, it's just, it's the same thing. Yes, (laughs) <laughs> so I am ill-prepared to talk about it today. I did invest a little bit, of course, uh, there we go. because of Ken Flo's recommendation. But at some point, for all you crypto fiends out there, we will uh, get a little bit from Ken Flo on the Bitcoin. <laughs> but we actually have a lot to get to today. I always like shows like this. When I used to do radio five days a week in Boston, we would call it like, a, I think, a free-form Friday where there wasn't a whole lot going on so we could uh, come up with stupid shit and stupid conversations So a lot of things to get to today. I want to talk about the UFC lightweight title picture because it's a hot button topic and there seems to be a lot of fan interest. I even just threw out the question. If you're assuming that Dustin Poirier is one half of the undisputed UFC lightweight title fight, who is the other side? Uh, Thousands of people have a take on this and uh, most people settled on Charles Oliveira. So I want to talk about that. We're also going to play a game called who's favored going to throw some future betting odds. Ken flows way. This is a hard exercise to to determine some of these close fights. So uh, we're not going to hold it against you. And uh, we also have a main event challenge coming up, of course, with Ian Parker, uh, UFC fight night over him versus Volkov trying to track down Ray Longo. So it's 10, 12 a.m. Eastern on a Monday. And I think Longo's still sleeping. Maybe he's got one of those like perfect pillows or something. But hopefully Longo <laughs> will be will be awake soon. And Ken Flo's got got one wheel out the door to uh, Virginia. So you're in South Carolina right now. You're going to drive to Virginia to go see your buddy Ryan Hall in preparation for Dan Ige. I'm told the Carolinas don't handle snow well. Is that true? <laughs> this is very true. The problem is is that uh, I think as we get, as I would get into like North Carolina, Southern Virginia, it's supposed to be pretty hairy right now with the snow, the ice. So uh, I'm not exactly sure I'm going to go today. I'm going to check what the weather conditions are and then uh, maybe ski my way up to Virginia right. either today right. or tomorrow. But uh, yeah, wild stuff. Ken Flo grew up in Massachusetts. He's not afraid of a shovel. He knows his way around the snow. That 
that little blue Porsche that was like from 1940 or so that you have, you would not be taking that to Ryan. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. All right. Got another car. He ain't going to tell you what the other cars, but he does have another car. All right. So we have a lot to get to today. I want to start with the lightweight title picture. And I find this to be very interesting. And Cody Merrow, our executive producer, feels like when it comes to the fan base, I think his term was virtue signaling. I mean, that's way over my head. But when you throw out a question, if we are to assume that Dustin Poirier is either going to be crowned as the undisputed UFC lightweight champion, if Khabib were to walk away, or that his next fight would be for the undisputed belt, vacant, who would Dustin Poirier fight? And Ken Flo, most people believe in a meritocracy with eight consecutive wins. Charles Dubronx Oliveira is hard to deny. And uh, you're not going to get any argument from me, even though I don't necessarily think that that is the way the promotion is going to proceed right now. Uh, I think in a meritocracy, giving the most deserving guy the title shot, Charles Oliveira is the guy for me. No question. I think you're absolutely right about that. I think uh, Charles Oliveira... Uh, Defeating Tony Ferguson and doing it in the manner that he did it uh, was something we had never seen before. Uh, so I, I think that uh, he is definitely deserving of it based on what he's done. Now, the only thing I would argue is that if you go back and look at the people that he beat before that, it wasn't exactly a who's who. So, you know, huge high profile win over Ferguson. But prior to that, a lot of consistency, but not a lot of big names on that list. Right. And we had a conversation several months ago trying to make a case for some of these guys. And Poirier was the guy who we kept coming back to as the guy who it was hardest to make a case against. For right. me, it's like eight straight at 155 pounds. That's enough. I don't even care who you're stepping in there with. And I know you're just playing counter argument to the Charles sure. Oliveira side. But I remember when we would sort of champion Tony Ferguson's cause. And it's like, right. I don't give a shit who that man beat. Right. He won 11 in a row or whatever it was at 155 pounds. But I like seeing the fan base, even if you want to call it virtue signaling. These guys who were born in the 1990s have these phrases like, what did Ken Flo say? Full stop last full week? Stop. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> Full stop. I asked Riley, my daughter, who is nine, about full stop. She knew full stop. I said, I'm 42. <laughs> I don't know full stop. So most of the fan base, at least that we talked to on social media over the last six days or so, feels like Charles Oliveira is the guy. Poirier acknowledged him as one of the two names that he would like to fight based upon what he has accomplished. So maybe that is the fight. Um, but Conor McGregor, of course, beckons right in a potential trilogy. As soon as Dustin won that fight, Kenny, you saw him going one one like before mm -hmm. I even interviewed him. So clearly that was something that was on Poirier's mind. I bring it up in the context of Justin Gaethje's interview with Brett Okamoto. You may have caught it, but he, he basically said that if, uh, that if, if Conor McGregor's next fight is for the undisputed UFC lightweight championship, that he's not going to fight in the UFC anymore. And, uh, again, it gets back to that buzzword meritocracy. As far as Justin Gaethje's concerned, you're looking at a guy who's one and two at 155 pounds. And, uh, Oh, and two in his last two at lightweight. That's not going to cut it for Gaethje. And Gaethje's the guy with the number two next to his name. What do you make of what Gaethje has to say about Connor's merits as, you know, top flight lightweight contender? Yeah, listen, I think that, um, you know, for, for Gaethje, he understands this is going to be a, a marketing campaign for him. He has to argue for the best fight possible. Uh, and in that process, you kind of have to uh, lower the value of other people around you, right? So, um, listen, I, I think Gaethje and Poirier would be a, a fantastic matchup uh, and an interesting one. Uh, with Connor struggling right now, um, it's tough. However, um, for Dustin Poirier, he's trying to get the most money possible. The UFC is trying to get the most money possible. Um, that's a huge fight. It, it's extremely interesting. You ask Nate Diaz, um, you know, about the value of going in there in, in a non-title fight against right. you know the biggest star in the game. Um, you know, for a lot of these guys that have been around for a long time, they've been fighting to make as much money as possible. Uh, of course, they want to be a world champion. There's no doubt about it. But to be a world champion and not to ha not have anything to, to speak of or not to have to be able to build up that wealth, you know, um, you know, it, it matters. There's absolutely, you know, there's no doubt about it. Um, but now that there's this capability of making millions and millions of dollars, right. I think that's kind of on the forefront of all these fighters' minds. We had listeners make a case for everybody, including Tony Ferguson, right? And again, if you were to spin this exercise around on me and say, 
you need to come up with a case for all these guys to fight for an undisputed title. I could sit here and make a case for Tony, even coming off the back-to-back losses. I could. I'm not going to sure. waste your time and do it right now. Certainly, we've laid out the case for Charles Oliveira. There was a big segment of people who were championing Justin Gaethje, of course, because he did have the one fight against Poirier prior, and he would like to get that one back. And of course, the only loss for him recently was the loss to Khabib, uh, which Dustin already, uh, which Dustin also has. Um, Michael Chandler, I mean, it's a pretty simple case against and a pretty simple case for, you know, he did to Dan Hooker uh, what Poirier and Felder weren't able to do, even if they softened him up. Um, But 1-0 in the UFC is hard when lined up against somebody like Charles Oliveira. So for me, promotionally, if I ran this show and I'm not necessarily thinking about sales and dollars and I'm just thinking about a meritocracy, I'm going Poirier Oliveira. I'm going Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler, potentially coaching on the ultimate fighter, but those guys fighting. I'm going to have Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz complete their trilogy, and I'm probably going Tony Ferguson against Paul Felder. And then you've got guys like Rafael Dos Anjos and Dan Hooker and uh, Islam Akashev and Drew Dober and, and Benil Daryush and um, Diego Fajeda matched up. But that's the way I'm proceeding, Kenny. I'm going uh, Dustin Poirier, Charles Oliveira, Gaethje Chandler, Ferguson Felder, Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz. What do you think? Uh, I, I think those are tremendous options. Um, you know, I, I like uh, I like Dustin Poirier against Oliveira as well. I, I think that's a great matchup. I, I think it's something that makes sense. It's a nice kind of happy medium. Do I think it's going to happen? Uh, probably not. Um, yeah. uh, you know, as far as Gaethje, um, I think a, a Gaethje Chandler uh, fight is awesome. I, I definitely love that one. Yeah. Um, as well, um, you know, just to throw things a little bit differently, I, I think Connor against Ferguson would be interesting. I Both love those it. guys, kind of in, in in a situation where uh, they need a win. Uh, there was talk about them fighting before. Um, and just kind of where they are at right now in their careers. Uh, not that they're all the way on. Uh, you know, at, at the bottom here, but I think it's a, a great fight to kind of determine uh, who's going to rise and who's going to fall. Um, yeah. So there's kind of a lot on the line there between two guys that fight a very exciting style. And, and I think it'd be fascinating for the fans. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Nate Diaz is sort of the big variable in all of this. What is his timeline? How soon does he want to get back in there? Because it's the opposite of of striking while the iron is hot with with Diaz and McGregor. You can literally do that trilogy in two different weight classes at any time. And certainly you could get to a place where there could be championship stakes for a trilogy fight between those two at 55. But you can't do that right now. So I kind of like what you're thinking there. Connor and Tony makes all the sense in the world right now. And, and we'll see if that happens. And I guess the great variable really in all of this, Kenny, uh, is Khabib Nurmagomedov, who could put a wrench into everybody's plans uh, if he chooses to return. So that, that's right. Interesting. You bring him up, John. Um, you know, I heard some pretty crazy news over the weekend. Um, I, I won't say exactly where it's from, but it's from a well-known coach who uh, apparently is aware of a fight between Habib Nurmagomedov and a, uh, a legend in the UFC, a former two-time champion, uh, George St. Pierre. Uh, so supposedly uh, that is a fight that um, I don't know if it's confirmed, but it is a fight that uh, George might be getting ready for and is preparing for. I don't think he would be getting ready for that or be telling people that uh, he's going to be getting ready for a big fight unless it was actually happening. Uh, And for me, I think the only fight that Habib Nurmagomedov would come back for would be against uh, a legend of that kind of stature, a guy who did many of the similar things that he did. Uh, And you can kind of bill it as a fight between two of the biggest takedown monsters in UFC history, George St. Pierre and Habib Nurmagomedov. And whether that would be for a 155-pound belt or not, I don't know. Uh, whether that is actually confirmed or not, I don't know. This is not from George St. Pierre himself. So I, I want to say that first. But right. uh, the rumor is that this fight, uh, you know, that they're, it's definitely in the works. So um, that is fascinating to me. And I would assume that would probably be some kind of a catch weight between those two. But I right. don't know. Wow. Wow. You're blowing my mind right now. I think what doesn't blow my mind is that the competitive itch for Khabib Nurmagomedov just hasn't been fully scratched. And I've said in the next 36 months, I think you'll see him compete in MMA, but it sounds like potentially things could happen sooner. And you're right. I mean, the George St. Pierre fight has a uniqueness that no other matchup or opponent can bring to the table for Khabib. So uh, we shall see. 
and yeah. how that affects the lightweight championship picture. Very interesting stuff. How about Ken Flo dropping the fucking bomb on me? It's not like <laughs> could have disclosed this in the pre-show meeting. Just throwing that in my lap as we discuss. I thought that would get you going. Yeah, that, that would get going. You going. Hey, Cody, before I move on to some of these uh, future betting odds, what do you have, kid? Well, so I just want to ask you guys. I know we're purists here. We love the sport. If they're going to do GSP versus Khabib, you can't do it if you strip Khabib, right? I mean, does the fight lose interest if Khabib is no longer the 155-pound champion? And then, therefore, does that impact the conversation that we just had of the year looking forward for 155? I don't well, believe that's, so. that, that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's a great question. But I would think that then they would have Dustin Poirier and whoever it is fight for the belt at 155 pounds that has been vacated. So they build that up. Uh, yeah. And then have, you know, George St. Pierre and, and Habib uh, partake in a little super fight. Um, of course, the UFC, you know, always loves those super fights to have a belt on the line. Um, who knows what they kind of come up with. But uh, I, I think just the fact that you have two of the biggest names in the sport, uh, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. The Connor Habib fight is out of the picture now as far as a rematch. What's the biggest fight of potential bigger fight than that it's gsp habib so i think that the ufc uh, would be silly to kind of uh dismiss that opportunity and and i think that both of those guys uh would be you know as motivated as ever to to go in there train and, and uh prepare for that one and, and entertain the fans so um i don't think you necessarily have to have a belt on the line but i don't know those are my thoughts what do you think about that john no i agree i mean poirier mcgregor did a huge huge number in the rematch without a belt on the line and the verb would obviously be vacate and not strip right because khabib Nurmagomedov, right. they're going to do it ceremoniously where he would he would vacate the title uh but yeah i just i don't know that you need any added stakes for khabib and george st pierre but i think it's an important uh point nonetheless. All right. So here's what we're going to do right now. So I want to first get some thoughts on Kamara Usman and Gilbert Burns as we wait on Ray Longo here. And then I'm going to move along to some, uh, some future odds and we'll see how you do. What I like to do when I get a fight card is write down what I think the betting odds are going to be. And, uh, oftentimes I get them right more often than not. I probably butcher them and I'm way off. So First of all, Kamar Usman minus 255 versus Gilbert Burns plus 215. This is obviously a championship matchup that has been marinating for some time. I think most of our listeners understand that these guys were not just former teammates, but friends. Um, Kamar cornered Gilbert in big fights in the UFC. Right now, Gilbert's a two to one underdog. There are a lot of people who believe him to be a live underdog at that. It's February 13th. It's the next title fight at UFC 258. Uh, I don't need your prediction right now necessarily, um, but any sort of lean as far as that welterweight championship matchup is concerned. You know, if there's one guy who could get it done and and, uh, really take advantage of those odds, um, it's Gilbert Burns. I, I think that, you know, these are two men that know each other extremely well. Uh, and the fact that Gilbert Burns is extremely competent and dangerous on the ground, even if he's on his back, uh, I think makes things very interesting for Kamaru Usman, who has um, done most of his best work there. Um, is he a good striker? Yes. Is he that guy that you know you think is dangerous that can put together combinations that could you know knock you out? No, I think he's more of an accumulative type. Uh, striker where he kind of grinds you down to a pulp and in the fifth round or fourth round, um, he kind of has the potential to uh, TKO you. Gilbert Burns is a way more dangerous striker. I think he has way more power. I think he's going to be faster. Um, and I, I think it's a fascinating matchup for that reason. Uh, Kamara Usman, I think, is going to be a little hesitant to take down Gilbert Burns, certainly earlier in the round. I think maybe at the end where he has a little bit more time to, to do well and maybe avoid a submission, but um, you know, from from what I have heard, they have had some extremely competitive sparring sessions. Uh, and if, if you know the ins and outs of someone else's game, um, I would also I would always take that and favor that person over the person who's never trained with them before. So uh, I, I think that's an interesting matchup for Gilbert Burns. If we can't have heat on a fight, true heat where guys just absolutely can't stand each other, I kind of think this is the next best thing. There's friction now, right? I mean, friends turn foes. They'll bury the hatchet after the fact, but there is a unique tension to this matchup. There is no doubt about it. And what's interesting too, Gilbert Burns is like Mr. Congeniality, right? And Kamaru Usman is not. I have a great relationship with Kamaru, but, uh, you know, he's not 
like leading the league in friendliness, right? He's a nice enough guy. But Gilbert Burns, I mean, did you see Gilbert Burns' reaction to Michael Chandler knocking out Dan Hooker? Like, Ken Flo, I know that Michael Chandler is his teammate, okay? But Dan Hooker knocked out Gilbert Burns. So some part of Gilbert Burns, maybe competitively, didn't need Chandler to go out there and dust him in two and a half minutes. But there's no jealous bone in Gilbert Burns' body. You know, he right. his reaction, if you see on social media, he's just a really, really good dude and uh, trying to, you know— Sees his moment uh, at UFC 258. All right, a couple other fights here, UFC 258. I'm going to throw you the fight, and uh, and you tell me who you think's favorite. So we talked about Miranda Maverick. She's 1-0 in the UFC. She's fighting Jillian Robertson, getting a big step up here in the women's flyweight division. Who do you think is the betting favorite, Jillian Robertson or Miranda Maverick? You know, um, for me, I like Miranda in that matchup, but I would think that Jillian is probably the favorite maybe since she has more experience. So I thought it would be that way. Miranda Maverick is minus 145, the betting favorite right okay. now. So the Sharps agree with Ken Flo. All right. Danny Gay versus Ryan Hall. I know this one is close to your hot. The betting line was just released. I got this on, on bestfightodds.com, I believe. So uh, I'm curious who you think is favored uh, and if you have any idea in what range. Interesting. Um, huh. So he has the number next to his name. He's coming right. off a main event against Calvin Cater. So yes. I think we can both agree that Danny gay is probably going to be entrenched as the betting favorite. It's just a matter of where the price falls. Right. And, and those of us who know how good Ryan Hall is thought <laughs> it would be closer than it is. <laughs> so he's, so I would think that Dan Ige, because he's been busy, because he's got the higher ranking, uh, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, you know, and I think the, the bookmakers would like that if the fight did hit the ground. I would think that Ige would be the favorite. Jeez, uh, uh, maybe 160 range is the favorite. Is that right? That's exactly what I wrote down and thought it was. Danny Ige minus 210. Ryan wow. Hall plus 175. So Ken Flo needs to excuse himself and hop on one of these betting websites. <laughs> I might have to go. Yeah. Dude, wow. Interesting. So, I'm torn in this matchup. I mean, when Ken flows in the corner, like I got to root for Ken flow, obviously that's where my heart is, but Danny gay is such a good dude. Did you notice that he bought uh, a subscription to Ryan Hall's like 50, 50 BJJ? He did. It's, he did. Here's, here's what I love about that is that that's the smart thing to do. It's hilarious, right? It's funny. Cause it's true, but it's, it's amazing that he's like, I'm going to find out what the enemy's like. I'm going to learn as much as I can about this shit. Screw Screw, you know, ego and all that stuff. I'm trying to learn and figure out and avoid things like it's it's actually a smart thing to do, you know. And uh, Ige is also one of those guys that I really respect because you look at how much damage he's able to dole out and how much he can take. The dude never quits. He fights on. Uh, he's not an easy out for anyone, man. So this is a fight that, you know, we have to take extremely seriously. And, you know. Do I think Ryan's going to win? Yeah. But do I disagree with those odds based on what Ige has done? Maybe not, you know, right. so he's, right. he's a beast, dude. Some gamesmanship for sure. In terms of making that $199 and 99 cent purchase <laughs> by Dan Ige, but what a fucking savage. Like I, I just, when I thought I could like him anymore, but yeah, go into the awesome. belly of the beast. Cause I oftentimes talk to my broadcast partners and friends who are fighters. And I say, don't reveal everything that's going on. Like if I'm Paul Felder training for a triathlon, like I don't want the every, every other lightweight contender knowing that I'm in great shape. You know, sure. part of what worked against Paul November 14th was that Rafael Dos Anjos was acutely aware of just what type of shape Paul Felder was in, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know mm -hmm. if this was Ken Flo in his prime, like <clears throat> you're not gonna be able to go to, you know, KennyFlorian.com and see all of his rear naked choke manipulations and all that stuff. Right. I mean, so I'm sure part of Ryan Hall's like, oh man, this guy's diving in. All right. Well, I'm out there. I'm out there giving misinformation when I'm fighting. Right, right. I'm, exactly. I'm like, this is how you, you do a rear naked choke like this. You kind of want to mix up the arms. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Uh, another, uh, fight I want to throw your way. Who do you think's favorite Alexa Grosso or the returning Macy Barber? Ooh, uh, you know, I'll go with Grasso as the favorite here. Yep. Look at you. Vegas likes an active fighter. Uh, Jimmy Rivera coming off a big win over Cody Stamen. 
Take it on Pedro Munoz at 135 pounds. Rivera or Munoz, who do you think is favored? You know, I would go with Munoz there as a slight favorite. Jimmy Rivera is the favorite at minus 140. I thought that one was worth asking. Wow. I thought Jimmy looked so good against Cody Stamen, but uh, I did think that one would be a little bit close. All right, February 27th, heavyweight main event, Ciro Gan versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Any idea what that price might be? Whoa. Dang, that's a good one, dude. Uh, Gone? Yeah, you're right. This is not an easy exercise. I was surprised to see that Gone is a full three-to-one favorite. Whoa. Minus 310. So That's big. Wow. Rosenstrike at plus 260. Not a whole lot of respect for Biggie Boy. No. Wow. He is on billboards in Suriname now, though. UFC 259, March 6th, Alexander Rockich versus Tiago Santos. How about some of these fights, Ken Flo? Rockich or Santos, who do you think's favorite? Oh, my goodness. Dude, I, as far as betting-wise, I would not touch that with a 10-foot pole. I mean, both those guys could yeah. end the fight in a second. But if I was going to go with who I think is going to be the favorite heading into that fight, I guess Rockich? Rockage minus 170. Tiago Mahetta Santos plus 150. Nice okay. done. Uh, Dominic Cruz versus Casey Kenny. Dominic Cruz and Casey Kenny. Ah, well, I, I definitely have to have Dominic Cruz in there as the favorite, probably in the two and a half, two and a half range, 250 range. Dominic Cruz is the even money underdog. No way. Casey Kenny minus 120. Wow. Wow. Okay. So listen, based on that, again, the moral of the story, like it is throughout the year, there is money to be made in MMA gambling. Okay. Well, <laughs> yes. And I also made. think you're noticing a trend, at least in this exercise, a lot of the odds makers just don't like inactivity, you know? Right. That's true. Very true. But when Kenny Cruz was announced, I remember saying to uh, to one of our UFC producers, I was like, dude, you'll see Casey Kenny be favored. You know, you'll see, you know, we'll wow. see if. Uh, but again, they're trying to draw two way action and we'll see if they draw enough Dominic Cruz action to have him close as the betting favorite. All right. March 13th, main event, Hamza Chimaev and Leon Edwards. You know that Chimaev is favored there. How about March 20th? Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland. Whew. I would say that they probably have Kevin Holland as the favorite. You're doing quite well. Like you should re- re- reverse <laughs> this shit on me in a couple weeks, you know, because just because I bet on sports every day does not mean I would do well in this exercise. You're absolutely right. Kevin Holland minus 165, okay. Eric Brunson plus 145. I mean, this first quarter is just going to be awesome. March 27th, Francis Ngannou versus Stipe Miocic. We've talked a lot about this on this show and the fact that I have said Francis Ngannou right now is the betting favorite against any man in the world. Um, what do you think Vegas has to say about this? Oh, man. You know, we haven't seen too much of either of those guys. So as far as inactivity, I, I don't know which way they're going to go necessarily. Uh, if Ken Flo's doing the book here, uh, huh. I, I'm, I'm going with Stipe. So Francis Ngannou is the favorite, minus 150. Stipe is plus okay. 130. Yeah, okay. the Ngannou quick fights scare me. The the inability to through octagon time over the last two years, because you're so fucking good that even the best contenders in the world only last about 20 seconds, but yeah. man, Stipe over 25 minutes in that little octagon against Daniel Cormier just looks so good. And presumably March 27th is going to be back in that little 25 foot octagon. So wow. can't wait for that fight. But Francis and <laughs> right now is favored. He's also favored to beat John Jones. There's a future betting line on that similar price. All right. Last one before uh, we get to some picks for Overeem and Volkov. Alexander Volkanovsky, Brian T. City Ortega, March 27th. Who do you think is the betting favorite? Um, geez. Ortega looked fantastic in his last fight. Uh, for me, uh, I would have Volkanovski as the favorite um, based on his consistency and the way that he matches up against Ortega. So that's the way I would go. Volkanovski is a two to one favorite right now. Brian Ortega is plus 170. You're not here for gambling advice, but I would say if you like T City in that plus 170 range, I'm not sure that that price is going to get a whole lot better than that, but uh, I could be wrong. All right. 
It was a bye week for the MMA leader last week. Not the case this weekend. It's UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Volkov. It is live on ESPN+. Plus. Let's get to some picks in the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it's... The time is most definitely Florian. I finished fights! I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. It is time to make some picks. Time for me to just sit back and enjoy. Tee the boys up. Heavy lifting is all on the other side of the table. We'll update the standings first, but I don't want the standings to bum you guys out because our intern Casey Williams has crunched some numbers that are not that favorable, but I just want to acknowledge Ian Parker's prediction of Dustin Poirier. You, Longo, Bilal, remember the name Muhammad. I said on on the pay-per-view, you got to look far and wide for these people picking Dustin Poirier to win by knockout, but under our banner, you, Longo, Bilal, you guys all like Dustin, and uh, he got it done for you, so congratulations on that kid yeah a lot of people were telling me that i shouldn't be on the show that i don't know what i'm talking about that um you know connor is uh the best black belt in jujitsu they've ever seen and dustin's gonna get knocked out in five seconds and i just said look i'm just putting out there why there was value in him and how he could win and it was literally how he could win so i'm happy for dustin poirier you know this was a big opportunity for him i don't think connor is done I just think now it comes down to strategy where he goes next, you know? So I don't think it's, I don't like the trilogy idea though, but we'll leave that for another day. All right. Well, let me update the standing. So these numbers are after your predictions for both UFC fight night, Kiesa versus Magni and UFC 257. So the overall lead is seven to six. It was four to three. So the Poirier hit for Parker, but that was it. Ken Flo hit on a couple of favorites, Jojo Calderwood and Brad Tavares. So, all right, don't shoot the messenger. These are from our intern, Casey Williams. Okay. Um, Team Anik has the lead, but for Team Anik, the overall winning percentage on bets is just 21% this year. Team Ken Flo uh, has picked favorites 93% of the time, but has the better overall picking percentage at 29%, uh, but still trails seven to six. So we'll see how it goes for you guys. We got seven picks for UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Volkov. First fight for us at Bantamweight, Ian. 13th ranked Cody Stamen, minus 310. Andre Ewell, plus 255. That is a big number. Stamen, of course, was to face Marab Dwalishwili. That fight fell apart twice. Stamen now trying to avoid a second straight loss, taking on the underrated Andre Yule. Yule's won two straight, three of four, to earn his shot against a ranked guy here, Ian. What do you think about Stamen as a three-to-one favorite against Andre Yule? I apologize for the uh, senile barking dog in the background. I'll take care of him in a second. But uh, the Ducks got to chase another dog. It's just the way this goes in my crazy house. But... Uh, yeah, you know what? I like Stamen here. I think this is a good um, a good fight for him. I, I don't think Ewell won that last fight. I think he got lucky with the decision. I think right. Stamen's wrestling. I think his cardio and I think his output is going to be the deciding factor here. So I like Cody in this one. Ken Flo, Cody Stamen, Andre Ewell, who's the pick to click? Yeah, I like Stamen here as well. I think his ability to kind of put it all together and uh, win rounds is going to be the difference here. He's very active, uh, experienced now. Stamen, Stamen takes the W here. Cody, I like your Tampa Bay Buccaneers hat. I like your Dustin Poirier, Louisiana hot sauce. My man, the duck just had to step away to go rescue a dog. I just need to know for future reference. And I know we're still on the air here. I'm taking a page out of Jason Annick's book on remember the show. Am I supposed to acknowledge that Ian has left or am I supposed to not acknowledge that and just have you clean it up and post? Oh, you just ignore it. I mean, you know, you're dealing Uh, with a magician over here. I can clean up anything. Because my guy Ian Parker is coming off a big week. He picks Poirier to win. We have the segment scheduled. And then within two minutes, he's jumping off camera. And as the host of the program, I'm distracted. Did you see how fast that was, though? I'm like the fucking Jewish flash. I'm like, <laughs> you know, did you, did you see that? I'm, you know, I'm, I even broke a sweat. Listen, the dog's 14 years old. He doesn't know where he is. He's everything else is good. It's so funny. He was sleeping this whole time. It's like whenever I have to take a shit, sit on the couch and do the show, he's like, oh, I'm just going to like be a fuck. Yeah. So yeah. my bad. Yeah. No, that's OK. And now in the future, I will just ignore it. But I, uh, I, was, hope, I was hoping you would have, you know, just like at this point, no, Cody's going to not make me look like a huge asshole. And we'll just, you know, just carry on, you know, just carry on. Just <laughs> All right. Big <laughs> fight, happen. boys. At lightweight. Couple of ranked guys here. We're going to have Ken Flo lead it off. Tenth ranked Diego Fajeda. 
Slight favorite, Kenny, minus 125, taking on 13th-ranked Benil Darius, plus 105. So Darius has won five in a row. Fajeda six in a row. Uh, but the last win for Benny Darius, Ken Flo, missed weight, but it was a spinning backfist knockout of Scott Holtzman last August. What do you think about Darius here uh, as a slight underdog against Diego Fajeda? Right. So um, for Darius, haven't they fought before? Didn't Darius win the first time out or am I, am I wrong? Yes, on that? I believe there was okay. a, I believe this is a rematch, but I'll look it up just to okay. be sure. I, okay. So I like Darius here uh, again. You know, I think that Benny um, is a little bit more versatile as a striker for sure. I, I do think that his ret- wrestling has improved to the point where I don't think Diego is going to be able to get too many top position on him and too much uh, top position on him during that fight. I also think Benny uh, is obviously very good on the ground as well. High level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt who's dangerous on his back and on top. Diego, I think is more of a, a dangerous top player. Um, so while it's close and while they are relatively similar in style and approach, um, I, I think Benny beats uh, Darius here and uh, he's an underdog. So I, I don't know if that gives me an extra points uh, based on the spread, but I'll go with Darius. It would give you an extra point, and it is a rematch. Okay. And flow nicely done. UFC 179, October of 2014. A win on points by unanimous decision for Benny Darius. Ian Parker, Fajeda has been on an absolute tear. He's won six in a row since an April 2015 loss to Dustin Poirier. Last win for him, performance of the night submission of Anthony Pettis. That was last January at UFC 246. Doors wide open if you want Fajeda, Ian. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to take Fajeda here. I do think it's relatively close. I think you have a difference between a guy in big-time Benny who uh, is now looking for knockouts. He's not really using his wrestling or his ground game anymore. He's become more of that kill-or-be-killed mentality. And I think Fajeda has more output. I actually think we've seen uh, – I love that Kenny kept calling him Benny because that's what I – you know, it's just, just funny called someone who's a fighter fucking Benny. Benny well, can I Penny. just interject but, uh, for a second that <laughs> – that meme, okay, that has been turned into all sorts of things, right? Between uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so this I'm showing it says, "Oh, out of nowhere, it's your birthday," right? It's that meme or whatever the fuck uh, with me, Joe Rogan, and Daniel Cormier from the Benil Darius Dracar close fight. And I think the call, I was like four in a row for Benny Daryush. And immediately I'm thinking, oh my, what am I calling him Benny on live television? <laughs> that's my fault. As you were, as you were. <laughs> Shameless, shameless plug. John gets royalties on all those cards at Hallmark. Go buy them. You right should. Now. That's right. That's uh, you right. should. I love that. Listen, you just, that, that, that's a great card. Um, yeah. So anyway, Fajeda, I, I think his output here, I also think his cardio is a little bit better. I think if he pushes the pace and he's able to get out of the first round with, with Benny, I think he can get it done. So I'm going to go with Fajeda here. All right. Next up, flyweight eliminator of sorts, I guess. Alessandre Pantoja, minus 135, taking on the UFC newcomer, Manel Kopp. Or is it cap? I'm going to look it up. Plus 115. Pantoja was beaten by Asker Askarov his last time out. Also as a recent loss to Davison Figueredo. Um, Manel Cap did weigh in as a backup last December for one of the flyweight title fights. But this was a matchup that initially was scheduled for December 19th of 2020. Pantoja's number five in the world. His opponent, obviously, no ranking because he hasn't fought in the UFC. So uh, as I look up the pronunciation, Ian Parker, we go and... Alessandre Pantoja or Manel Cap? I'm going to go Manel Cap here. I like what he's done outside the organization. I think with Pantoja, my issue with him is another guy who, to the level of success he reached was because his striking led to his very dominant jujitsu game. And as you've watched, he's just been getting away from it. In his fight against Askarov, that was a winnable fight for him. He got tired. He pushes the pace a lot really early. And against a striker in Cap or Cape, whatever we're going to go with here, it's I, I can't be faulted for the mispronunciation if John Attic doesn't know how to pronounce pronounce cap. it. It's <laughs> cap. I just Whatever. checked. It's, it's cap. cap. It's fine. Cap. Cape. Cape is cooler, but we'll go with cap. Um, I, I like him as an underdog here. I think this fight stays on the feet. He's got the better striking, and Pantoja has been liking the, to throw lately. So I'm gonna go with the dog here. Kempo, what do you think? Pantoja, Manel, Cap. You think I did my homework, Kenny? With Mr. He Kenny? did his homework. He did, did his homework. homework. He did. You sure did. I was hoping to steal that one. Um. Cap is, or uh, Manel, or whatever, uh, is a very good fighter, man. He's a good striker. He's tough. He's well-rounded everywhere. Um, I think Pantoja tends to get a little wild um, and, you know, emotional during the fight. I, I don't think that's going to favor him uh, against Cap here. I, I do think that it's going to be a close fight, two similar fighters. Of course, Pantoja is going to have a heck of a lot more experience heading into this one. 
uh, but don't sleep on Cap. I, I like Cap here as well. All right, let's get to the co-main event. Before we do, Ian, if somebody were to say to you, full stop, do you know what that that slang means, that expression? Because we were doing the podcast last week, and Ken Flo brought up some point. He's like, if you don't think a trilogy between Dustin and Connor sells, you're fucking crazy. Full stop. Do you know what that yeah, means in I'm, context? Yeah, Kenny means like there's no other argument. Like, that's it. Like, right. completely off base. Go fuck yourself. Hey, Kenny, full stop. I completely disagree <laughs> with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, if you want me to get into it, I can do it within a minute and a half. If not, leave it for another day. But I got a great I got a great rebuttal for that. Well, because I just feel like I'm the oldest guy here or at least the least hip guy with which I think goes without saying the full stop. I haven't stopped thinking about that since Ken Flo dropped it. it was, I thought it was stop. a reference. Isn't it a reference into the typewriter where it's like the period is the full stop? I'm not sure. But I don't know. Anyway. But uh, no, Ian, no, so the question was, I thought that was a bit, I it was a Bitcoin. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Co- Co- Cody's shaking his head right now. He's like, Kenny, stop, stop, bro. Stop. Stay in your uh, lane. Uh, so I'm probably wrong. But Ian, so the question was, is it a fight that would sell? It's not, not necessarily it's the fight that should happen, but is the fight that's you know, going to sell. So right. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell Connor to fight a fucking pot belly pig in the backyard. Yeah. That will sell. Look, right. it, I buy it. In my opinion, it's just the level of. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I think there's a different value in Connor after that fight. Um, I, I, I think there are different ways to build it up where that trilogy, if there's certain fights underneath that can have more value to make it a bigger sell, because I don't know if we look at that fight and we say to ourselves, is the result going to be any different? Because Connor hasn't done, well, remember what I said, I just didn't feel like his training, I didn't feel like the, his style, anything changed with how he was going because he's just so inactive, you know? So uh, yes, of course that fight will sell. Connor versus anybody will sell. I think there's other fights that make more sense for him on, to build up to that trilogy, but yes, it will sell. If you don't think it will sell, full stop. Yeah, I was just <laughs> I didn't I was just using that as an example, not at all yeah, trying yeah. to engage in that conversation. I was just seeing if you understood Sorry. the slang, full stop. I, That's I, okay. I changed my tune a little bit earlier this, this, this uh podcast, so yeah. we'll see. All right, yeah. co-main event. This fight was initially scheduled for January of 2020. Bantamweight division, Corey Sanhagen minus 440, Frankie Edgar plus 350, both ranked in the top four. We'll need the round of the method of victory, Ian. So both coming off big win, Sanhagen, of course, that blistering main event knockout of Magic Marlon Marais, Frankie's longtime friend, former teammate, training partner, and just one appearance in 2020 for Frankie Edgar, but it was a good one, a split decision win over Pedro Munoz. Winner here, Ian, likely going to get the winner of Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling, depending on how that title fight goes. But we need to know for this weekend who wins the co-main event, Edgar or Sanhagen, and how do they get it done? Oh, God, no disrespect to Frankie. I just don't see how he how he wins that. Um, I, you know, I couldn't really judge Sanhagen's fight against Aljo. Aljo just did everything perfect and flawless and got it done when he needed to. And then Corey bounces back and just destroys Marlon Marais and looked the best he's ever looked. You know, look, I think we know what Frankie's able to do. Can he get the fight to the floor? Can he pick up, pick up the pace? Can he unleash a crazy amount of output? Or is he going to be destroyed by Sanhagen's range and crazy style? I just think Corey Sanhagen's one of those guys that he is a future champ. Uh, I just think he's going to be too athletic, too fast, too strong, too big, just everywhere. And I don't know. I really don't know how Frankie wins this fight. I think Corey, I don't necessarily think he's going to finish Frankie, although Frankie, his chin is definitely a little bit different. Uh, I'll say Corey Sanhagen will win by very dominant decision, though. All right, Corey Sanhagen in the co-main event for Ian Parker. Ken Flo, full stop. The punctuation mark that comes at the end of a sentence apparently coined by Shakespeare in The Merchant of Venice from the 16th century. Thank you. So I was All right. right. All right. Just Can you just <laughs> tell me who wins the co-main event this weekend? Can you just do that? All right. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So uh, nerd over here. All right. So I will say this. I, I do see a path to victory for Frankie Edgar. I, I think that Frankie uh, could potentially take him down, control him, uh, you know, outpoint him. Do I see that happening? I, it's going to be tough. I, I think that if there is a weakness in, in, um, in Corey's game, it is uh, his grappling. So uh, Frankie uh, could potentially expose that here. Um, I do think that Sanhagen's going to have enough to keep Frankie on the outside to keep Frankie guessing uh, and to kind of outpoint him round by round with his striking and, and potentially be able to stop those takedowns. So I like Sanhagen here. Uh, I think he gets the win. 
uh, and, uh, you know, further solidifies himself as an elite uh, bantamweight. And, um, yeah, I mean, that division just getting better and better all the time. But, uh, you know, love Frankie, but I'm not sure he's going to get it done here. Sanhagen by decision. Dan Hagen by decision. And if Aljamain Sterling is able to get past Piotr Jan as a slight underdog in their fight, I want to see San Hagen Sterling again. I, I felt a little bit shortchanged by that fight, as good as it was for Aljo. All right. Main event, Ken Flo will lead here because he is trailing, albeit slightly on the scoreboard. Alexander Volkov minus 185. Alistair Overeem plus 160. Only one of these guys is still in the heavyweight mix after this fight. So let's see who it is. This is a huge fight. It could even be the retirement fight, Kenny, for Alistair Overeem if he loses. I thought Volkov looked outstanding in bouncing back from the Curtis Blades main event loss with a win over Walt Harris at UFC 254. But Overeem seems to be the story here. He's won two in a row, four of five to keep himself in the title picture. What do you think about Overeem here as the underdog? And does this one more run, as he has put it, uh, continue? You know, I might be speaking for everybody here, but I feel like there is no division that makes me feel less secure than uh, picking a heavyweight fight, uh, especially a main event. I mean, those things, it could go either way. Both those guys are capable of finishing this fight at any moment. Uh, both are very dangerous strikers. Uh, Volkov, um, especially so. Uh, loves to come forward, loves to bring the fight to his opponent. Overeem tends to kind of circle and pick his shots. Um, and there are times where um, he kind of loses focus during a fight and he could be winning the whole fight and then all of a sudden makes a big mistake and loses or makes a poor decision. It is by grappling and by, um, you know, taking him down. I think Volkov was definitely exposed uh, in that fight, um, you know, um, when he was taken down repeatedly against Blades. Uh, is Overeem that same kind of double-leg specialist? No, but he does have takedowns in his arsenal. Um, but, you know, I, I think Overeem is, is pretty cautious to start his fights. I think that's what he needs to do here. Um, I will take Overeem to win. I think his experience will kind of win out here, but this isn't something that makes me feel comfortable yeah. Um, I like Overeem here uh, by decision. Alistair Overeem by decision for Ken Flo. See, Ian might be the last chance Ken Flo gets to pick the ream in a pro MMA fight, so he didn't want to waste the opportunity. Man, Volkov looks ready to kill a man back in October. The Curtis Blades training camp left a lot to be desired. He couldn't get the bodies in. I don't know if you want to chalk that entire result up to that, but uh, – Volkov, to me right now, looks like a man possessed. I think he deserves the distinction as the betting favorite. Ian, what do you think, Volkov or Overeem for you? Um, respectfully, I kind of disagree. I felt like Overeem, the way he beat a guy in Sakai, the way Sakai was fighting in that fight. A lot of people were looking at Sakai as, as an upset there to win. And I think Walt Harris, and I hate to knock him, just seems to always fall short in that main spot or in that big fight. And we, we know with Walt what we're getting and with Volkov, we know what we're getting also Overeem, what Kenny said in the best point, which is why I'm also going to go Overeem. I'm sorry, Kenny, is that, hey, I, I love him at plus 160. I, I don't see where they see this. I think Overeem has gotten smarter, actually, as he's gotten a little bit older. Uh, the mistake he made against Rosenstrike, I'll tell you that one mistake, he was clearly winning that fight. You know, had he won that fight, where would, where would he be right now? Okay. In the Sakai fight, he made the adjustment. He kind of roped the doped him a little bit. And then when he was able to get him down and hold him down, he knew he had to finish again, smartened up. He's not taking the same shots. He's not staying in front of people. It's funny. You would think as guys get older, they would kind of stay more in the pocket as a heavyweight and be as insecure as Kenny said with just rock him, sock him robots with Alistair Overeem. He's moving around more. He's like, you know what? I'm getting older, getting knocked out at this age really sucks. Cause I don't recover as well. So I think Overeem, with Curtis Blades' blueprint, obviously, to Kenny's point, also not as good as wrestler, but he has that ground game. I think Overeem will get this fight to the ground. I think he has to in order to win. And I think, man, I, I hate to say this is going to go a five-round decision, but with Overeem, it's definitely possible. So for the moment, I'm going to go Overeem by decision. I don't think he's going to finish Volkov on top. We've seen Volkov be a very tough guy to handle punishment on the bottom. But I think Overeem plays this very intelligently, knows where, where he can win this. And if it's one last time, he doesn't want to take damage with a win before a potential bigger fight. He just, he's smarter than that. So I'm going to go that way. Intangibly that one more run, I think has to count for something too, for Alistair Overeem and both guys see some value at plus plus one sixty. All right, quick picks on the way out. 
Macy Shasson minus 110, Marion Renault plus 175. So Renault's going to be 44 in June, Ken Flo, if you're thinking about a comeback. She's lost three in a row. Macy Shasson ending a one-year layoff. She's 6-1 and one like her opponent, Marion Renault. She has never been finished. Ian Parker, Macy Shasson, Marion Renault. Who do you have? I think this fight should be a lot closer in the lines than it is, but I'm going to go Macy here. I just think she's going to be the better grappler. And Flo? Yeah, going Macy as well. All right, and then at lightweight, Michael Johnson, minus 220 versus Clay Guida, plus 180. They have combined to lose their last five. Michael Johnson's last win came against the GOAT, Artem Lobov. That was October of 2018. Johnson, 19 and 16 as a pro. He's 11 and 12 in the UFC. Artem Lobov, 13, 15 and 1 as a pro if you're scoring at home. Ian, what do you think? Michael Johnson, Clay Guida, who do you have? I think Michael Johnson is probably one of the most talented guys that has one of the shittiest records that doesn't really justify how good I think he actually is. I don't see Guida beating him here. I like Michael Johnson. Can flow? I agree. I think Michael Johnson has the wrestling background as well to kind of thwart those takedowns uh, for the most part. And uh, I think MJ gets it done. All right. We will see if Ken Flo and Ian Parker effectively move the betting lines. A lot of agreement this week. Lone dissension on Fajeda and Daryush. We'll see how it plays out. And you can watch it live on ESPN Plus this weekend. If you would like more from the duck Ian Parker on social media, he is at Ian Parker MMA. Thanks for your time, buddy. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks, eh? Hey. That's all I got. Sorry. All right. Ian Parker <laughs> with us for the main event challenge. So Ken Flo, I did a lot of media this week and there was a lot of talk about calf kicks. So ah. I anxiously await your, uh, your video and hopefully you can uh, explain to the masses, you know, the subtleties and the angle of checking it. Because when I am doing media and I get asked about it, I say, well, I, you know, I'm not the analytical guy that should be answering this question, but I think there are some subtleties when it comes to raising that leg. It's not as simple as, uh, as maybe just raising that leg. So uh, we look forward to that on Ken Flo's YouTube channel. Don't forget, remember the show coming up Thursday night with Bilal Muhammad and Jason Anik on this very channel. And uh, the merchandise is off and running. There's uh, some FNA merchandise for uh, for the Felder and Anik video podcast as well. And uh, that all can be found at AnikFlorianPodcast.com. Next week, I think we're already coming up on a pay-per-view week, which is pretty crazy. So Yanni the Greek is scheduled to join us, give us his picks for UFC uh, 258 in advance of UFC on the line which you can watch on UFC Fight Pass. Ken Flo, you, you hitting the road of Virginia right now? Is that the deal or what? I'm going to check the weather conditions to see how crazy it is uh, on the way up there. Uh, if it's decent, I'll make the drive. If not, I'll probably wait till tomorrow. All right, kid. Well, yeah. uh, it's good to see you. Send Ryan Hall our best, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. My dude. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, for watching, for subscribing. We appreciate every last one of you. Uh, for Cody Merrill and Ken Flo, John and saying so long. For now, we will get you long ago next week. Rest assured. Until then, you'll fucking live. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.